Well, hello there, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Tech Experience. James Hilliard joining you for this conversation. I've got three guests on the line. I'm going to introduce them, and then we're going to go around the table and talk about how all of us on this conversation are tied to the world of education these days. And our focus today for this conversation is really on distance learning. We're going to be talking about kind of where it has been, where it is, and where it's going in the future, but all really in a kind of a condensed time frame because there's so many changes in education these days. got Pam Olick online. She is a Vertical Alliance Manager for K-12 through with Connection. Uh, Sean McCann is here, Vertical Alliance Manager within Higher Ed for Connection. And Brad Saffer is on board. He is the Global Education Lead for Cisco. We thank Cisco for sponsoring this conversation here. So let's go around the table. Pam, I want to start with you. I said we would all uh, self-identify how we're tied to education these days. So how are you tied towards education? What's your personal story there? So I am an educator. I spent um, a lot of time in the classroom and uh, managing instructional technology programs for a very large school district. And part of all of those roles was really advocating for the use of effective use of technology in the classroom. So the current situation that we're in right now is something that is near and dear to my heart because it's something I've been trying to support teachers with for about 10 years. And we will uh, lean on that experience for sure. Sean McCann, again, uh, you have a focus work-wise on higher education, but things are a little bit different focused on the on the personal front, Sean. Yeah, James, uh, great to be with you. So uh, we have a couple of toddlers at home, and, and so they haven't uh, necessarily been uh, impacted as far as the remote learning piece. But my wife is a, a fifth grade teacher in uh, Bridgeport, Connecticut. And so um, we've been kind of dealing with the trials and tribulations of uh, trying to make all that work. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. But Brad, we need to hear what your home school kind of division of labor is. What, what do things look like for you, sir? Yeah. So first of all, uh, thanks for having me and, and all of us. Um, I am a former high school, middle school math teacher in my early days, been in ed tech for about 15 years. But right now I am living the dream of having a 14-year-old and a 12-year-old trying to navigate this challenging world of uh remote learning, distance education, while my wife and I are both working at home. So I don't think I face the challenges that Sean does in terms of uh, of managing uh, all the particulars, but it's certainly been a, a challenging time for my kids. I can imagine. And just to add and round this out, I've got my oldest going in as a junior in high school. My middle is a eighth grader going in and I have a fifth grader. And as my wife, uh, a lot of my work went away when we started running into some of these pandemic issues and work closures. My wife, uh, marriage family therapist, so she was working as mental health worker. And that meant we had four people working from home. I was trying to work. I was helping out in school. There were just a whole lot of things going on. Let's start first, Sean. I, I said I wanted to come back to this. Your wife, Once she was able to get her class over the finish line, 
did she just kind of collapse and sit there for a day or two to try and collect herself? Because the teachers that did get us all over that finish line, they did a tremendous job. So many didn't have a plan that was laid out for them by their administrators. Many tried the best they could. What, what was her final just kind of <sighs> let loose of? Yeah, I, I think she took a deep breath that lasted somewhere between three and four days is probably the, <laughs> the best way to put it. Um, yeah, I mean, we owe a debt of gratitude to, to teachers that were uh, kind of thrown into that with not a whole lot of preparation. Yeah. And one of the issues, and, and this is maybe where I want to start then, is is the idea of technology, because that was the first thing that really came to mind. And I live in a school district where uh, we have a plethora of computing options. Most of our families at home, we were able to recondition tablets that were in the schools and loan those out to students that may have needed to use those. But there were plenty of stories. I'm in the San Francisco Bay Area, and there were plenty of stories where there were school districts that couldn't do that. Uh, Pam, again, you've said that this has been such a passion for you for such a long time. Talk a little bit about some of the issues that you've seen about just the availability of technology and what this pandemic showed us about that within education. Yeah, so there's about 9 million students right now in the United States that don't have access to a device in order to do remote learning. So, you know, regardless of how good those plans are in terms of let's build the curriculum and let's deliver something that's meaningful to kids, the challenge is always, you know, how do we get those kids to to really, you know, engage in that technology when they don't have access to it? So it's probably the biggest hurdles that I've seen is really regarding access to a device and then Internet connectivity. You know, now now that those offers are disappearing, you know, the struggle is what's next for these families that were able to take advantage of those programs, you know, during the peak COVID time. And, and that is the issue that we're all going to, you know, this is going to be a long-term issue that we'll be dealing with. COVID will be in the big scope of things, the shorter aspect, right? At some point, you know, things will, we will see a change. I don't know if it'll ever go back to normal, normal, but we will likely, I think many of us still, you know, Brad, let me even just ask you, do you and your colleagues, do you see a time that, you know, for the most part, we are all back in school? And, and if so, what are some of the thoughts that that leads you to think of, though, of what we need to do to prepare for a better full-time kind of back in school? And again, that might be years down the road. Yeah, so I think it's to be determined whether we'll be back fully the way we were. I, I don't think we're ever going to look at education the same way again. And the struggle right now that we're seeing, you know, Pam outlined it really well, this access to technology in K-12 is really critical. And at least where I am in Northern California, they're now looking to, at the high school and middle school level, continue with distance learning. So there's been an achievement gap that's been expanded with COVID, and there's now real fear that that is only, only going to continue. So, so access is big, and trying to figure out how to bring students back, whether in a K-12 setting or in a college uh, campus, it's, it's really very much focused on redesigning learning spaces and uh, and other spaces on campus um, to enable students to social distance, uh, to have the ability to, you know, to test in some case, do contact tracing. But I think that without those things, you've got students who uh, you really have an array of students, some who need to come back to campus because they can't learn solely through distance learning. And then there are other students who will not come back to campus 
for those same reasons that they are to, there's issues around, you know, health concerns, um, whether it's themselves or other family members. So I think what we're seeing in both K-12 and in higher ed is the development of hybrid learning models to enable people to have and students and faculty to have the choice of how they come back in quotes to campus. And we'll definitely dive into some of the learning models and what we may envision and, and some of what I'm hoping we can hear from some of you all is what are you hearing, right? Some some creative plans to address these problems. But well, Brad, let me ask you this on the idea of kind of bridging the gap and getting more technology out to the learners, students, again, K through 12 or even higher ed. What are some of the creative ways that you're hearing teams, either at Cisco, uh, partners, you know, working to get more tech out into the students' hands? Yeah, so where Cisco's involved, mainly in, you know, the networking space, we are supporting districts that are trying to, for example, do Wi-Fi buses. So they will bring a a bus into a parking lot and students can, you know, pull up with their parents in the car and and connect. That's not an ideal a solution, but it has been something that has been a stopgap in an emergency. But we're also, you know, looking to partner with you know various state governments and service providers to come up with, you know, really leverage the free Wi-Fi offers that a lot of the service providers are putting together. And then from the Cisco standpoint, see where we can enable expanded Wi-Fi coverage. So we're looking at community Wi-Fi. It's, I think there's still a lot of work to be done there, but I think this crisis has put a premium on this notion of the need for community Wi-Fi, which has been a concept out there for, you know, 20 plus years. But now, uh, you know, because it's such a, a bottleneck for for students and and people working remotely it's really i think going to be accelerated now with the crisis and i gotta just tell everybody here and and maybe everyone listening as well might have been just as surprised i was really expecting that shortly after you know because most of the schools around the country had a bit of a break we were right around that spring break time frame so everyone had a little bit of okay we'll, we'll do a little distance learning now let's do some spring break see what's going on with this pandemic okay pandemic's still here we're continuing when everyone went back to school online full-time i expected the internet to just die crash bang gone not gonna be here brad did you guys have any of those concerns internally was there or even just personally thought of like is this going to hold? Yeah, you know, we did. We were concerned given how, you know, Cisco WebEx usage was up so high, whether we had the capacity to do yeah. that. It, it has held up very well. But I will tell you that we put even in Cisco in place some rules around when to start meeting. So you couldn't start a meeting on the top of the hour or the bottom of the hour. You had to stagger it. So pick these odd times just to to spread out capacity. So I think there was a lot of unknown on that. You know, again, we we held up very well. But boy, you, you just don't know until, you know, when you see the capacity triple, you know, what's going to happen. So certainly was a was an issue. Yeah, we gave kudos to the the teachers and educators out there earlier. Give kudos to, you know, the IT professionals as well, because there were some little issues that I'd read about here and there. But by and large, our IT professionals just did a great job of making that switch over, especially within Ed. Sean, let me turn to you. And, and there, there are two things I want to drive with you right now. One, if we could, you know, starting, if, if you could share what you could about your wife's experience when she was getting students online with the technology did she find did she tell back to you man sean there's so many kids that don't have access or they've got really old machines that aren't up to date for some of the newer modern things we need to try and do or what was her experience with her students and their access to technology 
Yeah. So, so she teaches in an in inner city here in, in Connecticut. And that was a real challenge for them, right? It's just trying to have some type of, of uniform access for, you know, the 31 or 32 students that are, that are part of the class. And, you know, it was something that was kind of an ongoing uh, experiment is, is probably the wrong term, but kind of a trial and error throughout the course of the, the second half of the semester there <clears throat> as they were trying to close things out. With, in your experience of the higher ed space, right, your work life, what was it like? I, I have friends who have college age students and many of them came home, right? They got sent home from universities, uh, you know, throughout the, the Southwest and uh, more out West here where I'm at. Uh, distance learning didn't seem to be the greatest experience for a lot of those kids, uh, but a lot of those kids did have access to technology because they were sent to school with a laptop, with, you know, tablets, things like that. So what was the technology divide issues that you saw or heard from your higher ed customers out there that were trying to kind of get through and get over the finish line earlier in the spring? Yeah, the, the access piece is not as big a challenge, I don't think, on the higher ed side as it is, you know, for, for Pam on the K-12 side. You know, that said, though, you know, I think for the most part, a lot of the our university partners uh, we're given a little bit of a pass from the spring, right? It, it was something that, for all intents and purposes, everyone was relatively under prepared for, and and there were a lot of inefficiencies, and and people kind of pieced it together. And so, a lot of the conversations that we've been having with our customers are, you know, we need to figure out a way to to kind of create this concept of a, a digital twin or an elastic campus, so that if we do need to kind of pivot on a dime in the fall and send everyone back to a remote first environment, you know the experience is, is a lot more uniform. And, and maybe we'll talk a little uh, teaching theory, for lack of a better word, in a couple minutes. Pam, for the divide in technology, what do you see? If you could write the rule and say, this is what I'd like to see for all students, what would it be for you to bridge that tech divide? Well, for me, it needs every student needs to have not only access to technology, but families need training and how to use the technology. So, you know, digital divide not only speaks to who has and who doesn't have, but it also speaks to who can and who can't. So, you know, the issue is we send those technologies home to families and we just assume that there's somebody that's technology skilled at home to be able to make help that technology actually work with the student. So for me, it would be, you know, not only let's do the full package, let's provide connectivity, let's provide devices, let's give the students the knowledge and how to effectively use that for their own learning, and then let's teach the teachers how to use that technology for effective instruction. I am absolutely in agreement. I'm a tech guy. I've been talking tech for 20 plus years, and one of the assignments my fourth graders got, we went through was eight different technologies in one lesson that had to involve signing up for some different online platforms, if you will, and then taking a test in a different platform and watching some videos differently here. I got lost on it. And I had, and my son came to me in the, in the middle of it. And I'm like, all right, you're on like step four here. Let's, oh, no, that doesn't work. Let's go back to step. Three. No, that. And I just said, Aiden, you can take a break for right now. Dad has to check this out. So I had to go back to the beginning of the lesson and I struggled through it. And I'm someone who, kind of tries to tap myself on the bat and say, hey, you got to know this technology stuff. So th that I absolutely see 
as a huge deal. So what can be done on that planning wise, whose role, whose responsibility to help teach us, right? Because now parents, all of us on this phone line are turning into kind of adjunct professors and teachers and teaching aides. Uh, how do we get that knowledge out there to so many of us that have taken for granted just that, well, our kids should know how to do this. They teach it at school. There's really a couple of different ways that districts, you know, can address that. The first is, you know, providing community um, technology days to families once they're able to kind of get back together. They can do that in person. They can also conduct those virtually. A lot of that responsibility in terms of, you know, interoperability and selecting software and hardware that can act with each other. For example, things like single sign-on platforms that takes away the need to remember eight different logins for, you know, eight different devices like you were mentioning earlier. There are ways that they consolidate that and really look towards programs that are interoperable with each other to prevent a lot of that confusion and prevent students from getting lost. Brad, when we have conversations about technology, it's people process technology. Oftentimes I say to teams, you know, the technology is kind of the easy part now. We've figured most of that out, but it's not. And and we still have people that do interact with that. So to what Pam is bringing up there, the idea that we still have so much more to educate uh, users of our technology. And sometimes those of us that are so involved, we just think, oh yeah, everyone knows this, but everyone doesn't know that. So what are some things that you see from the Cisco front to help educate and and push the adoption of using this technology in the education setting so that, you know, someone doesn't just slam down the computer uh, getting frustrated and just say, you know what, we're just not doing this. Right. And, and I know through personal stories that happened a lot with friends of mine that just said, you know, we quit. We just don't know. Yeah. So I think Pam hit on a number of them. I think simplicity is the number one thing. I mean, your story, I think I was smiling or maybe I was frowning when you were telling it because I encountered the same challenges. I think another big piece beyond the technology is faculty adoption and faculty training, not just on the technology, but on how am I structuring my content? How am I structuring the online experiences with my students to keep them engaged and to provide them with the support they need. Because, you know, again, I'm a former teacher and I had a hard time like you at times helping my kids navigate their assignments, even just from a content standpoint. So what I think has been exposed in this is the value, uh, both in higher ed and K-12, of students being in a classroom with a teacher and getting that visual feedback and having that that you know in-person support both from you know the teaching standpoint the emotional standpoint when you take that away kids can feel like they're out on an island and once that 15 minute zoom check-in or whatever technology they're using ends you know they're on their own and they're relying on mom dad or whoever is in the house to help them get through an assignment. And that's why we're seeing a lot of students just kind of checking out because they can't get over that hump. And in the spring, due to very quickly offices closing, right? Parents were home. Maybe uh, an older sibling was home that could help out with some of the education. But there were still a lot of kids. Parents weren't home essential workers. So the kids were left on their own or parents in, in my example, both my wife and I, certain days we were working. And so, you know, I came out and, and my fourth grader had tears and was crying and he liked learning. He liked school, 
but this just wasn't working for him. Sean, your wife, again, I want to start with her and then, then I'll, I'll branch into your, your business lifestyle as well. But was there something that she shared with you saying, man, Sean, I wish I knew more about X or I need more support from my school to do this for my students? Was there something that, that was lacking that she was really looking for? And, and hopefully she's receiving or will receive that support in the fall? Yeah, I, I think it's something that that they're still trying to figure out. You know what I mean? It was uh, something that, for all intents and purposes, that the kids and, and the teachers were kind of learning together, right? What the best way to to structure a day was, or, or you know, some of the different challenges, you know, that they were trying to overcome. It, there was a lot of support from the district. There just there wasn't the resources in place. There wasn't the infrastructure in place. Uh, and I think that's something that you know, districts all over the place are starting to kind of reconsider for the fall. And back to, again, because you've got a, a higher led, uh, higher ed perspective for us here, Sean, the universities out there, community colleges out there, are they feeling prepared or more prepared with the fall coming? Do they have, be, because, and the reason I ask is because I have been talking with my eldest, again, he's going to be a junior. I think he's more adept to doing distance learning because he's already learned how to do his reading, his writing, his arithmetic, right? He can be more self-paced because he's older and a lot of college work is moving that way. So I see a difference there between that and say, you know, your kiddos that will be making their way to school in a couple of years, Sean, and, and my fifth grader, he still has things to learn about learning. Is higher ed in a better place? Do you have any uh, kind of ray of light for us there? You know, I think they're in a different place. You know, I saw a stat that, you know, 60 or 65 percent of students are OK with some type of a, a hybrid approach. But on the flip side, you know, 75 percent of the faculty and staff say, hey, this remote thing is, is just really not something we're all that good at. And so there's a little bit of a divide there. And, uh, you know, there's a financial aspect to it as well for a lot of these these colleges. Right. And the, the ability to, to kind of scale and be a, a remote first off is not necessarily a sustainable model. You know, there's all sorts of reasons, financial and otherwise, that uh, a lot of these institutions want students back on campus in September. Absolutely. Pam, I'm going to make a statement here, and I'd love just your your reaction to it. And you think I'm wrong, then you tell me you think I'm wrong. If, if there's some agreement, then share some of that. Some of the teachers that I had worked with and the educators that I've talked to since some have been of the mentality, well, hey, we didn't really know what was going on. We were thrown into it. We did the best we could. And I agree with that, and I applaud them. A very small minority of those individuals that I've talked to have said, but, you know, we'll get back to normal soon. And Pam, I'm here shaking my head, especially elementary. I'm shaking my head saying, no, that you have to adapt. You have to learn how to do this hybrid approach or the remote learning. Something has to change there. We can't just say, well, it'll just go back to normal. That's my thought. And I think that that goes a lot to administrations and districts as well, that they have to be empowering their teachers to realize things have changed. There is a line in the sand that we will not cross back over to and that remote education is going to be a, a driving force in one way or another especially in K through 12 moving forward. Am I off base? Does that resonate with you? Do you think, James, who are you? What are your thoughts on that, that comment? I agree with you. Uh, I think 
this situation really uncovered the fact that we can't keep doing things the same way. And while a lot of districts moved to a traditional one-to-one, you know, type of environment before COVID, I think the public is not going to be as forgiving with school districts if there is a need to shut down again and we're not prepared with the technology, the connectivity, the professional development for training. So I think there's going to be a, an expectation that uh, this is going to be built into part of our new normal. And one of our, our options when there's instead of snow days, let's have a continuous you know, online learning day. So I do think that there's definitely going to be a new normal. I think it's going to depend on your region, your state, your county, how you're going to go back. But overall, what we're seeing right now is most elementary and middle and high schools are choosing to go back in a hybrid model. Yeah, that's that's what I'm seeing around my area as well. Well, let's do this. I, I want to kind of get to a little bit of a wrap up, kind of a, a one to grow on, a one to think about, a this is my thoughts moving forward for what it's worth type of comment from each one of us as we we look to wrap up. And I'll start, and the only thing I'll say, and it's kind of piggybacking, Pam, on what you were saying, is that there will be that expectation. I would just hope that we still, parents, technologists, salespeople, marketers, everybody that has someone tied to the education system, that we all still are able to give our educators and those teams a little bit of that grace there. Because even though they've had the summer to work it out, they haven't. This is still an ongoing, things changing by the moment. So we do have expectations. We care about our kids, whether they're first graders or their second year college. We want them to have the best education. That being said, things aren't going to be perfect. So that's my call to action is that we all just remember this is still evolving. And so let's let's evolve together and work together. Pam, what are some final thoughts? What's something you'd like to share with the audience that they can think about, that they can grow on, that can explore as, as we do move towards this kind of new normal, as you stated, in, in education? I'd like to see school districts and communities kind of work together to help solve this problem ongoing in the future. I think we've put a lot of pressure on school districts to solve this problem, but in the end, I think the best solution can only come if it's a marriage between community stakeholders as well as the school districts. Sean, what are your thoughts here? What uh, what do we need to be thinking about so we can all have a good, successful, you know, education environment for everybody moving forward? Yeah, you know, I, I think one of the things that this is, has really put a spotlight on are some of, you know, kind of the operational inefficiencies that existed in the higher ed space. And, and I guess, you know, my thought on it is technology can kind of help solve a lot of those inefficiencies. And I'm hopeful that we'll kind of use this as a reason to kind of springboard and do things a little bit better moving forward. And Brad, I'm going to give you last word here again from Cisco as a whole, from Brad as a person. What are your kind of thoughts, hopes, wishes moving forward? Yeah, so I think a couple of things. One, an observation, and that is that we are going to see, as Pam mentioned, the hybrid model, both in K-12 and higher ed, have to figure out a way to have students on campus in some capacity, number one, and to be able to accommodate a variety of learning styles and and preferences in terms of whether you're on campus, whether you're only remote. So that that puts a lot of complexity into how campuses uh, structure learning and, and IT. But the other thing I would say on a hopeful note is that you know the crisis has accelerated the use of technology in a good way. So for example, in healthcare, the idea of doing a video, you know, like a telehealth appointment before was something that culturally 
was not something we were comfortable with, but now that's become you know required in many cases. So we're going to see efficiencies in education, whether it's around you know parent-teacher conferences, around student services, around being able to take the best teacher and have them teach a large group of students remotely. I think there are actually going to be some benefits to education in terms of the efficiency, even getting at some of the uh, the issues that that Sean is is referencing in terms of operational efficiency. So I think this is going to be an accelerant of some things that we we've been seeing in terms of possible areas of improvement in education. So, you know, we just have to sort through this chaos right now, kind of get through that that first wave, and then I think we'll start seeing the improvements. Well, I'm hopeful that we will as well. Brad, Sean, Pam, thank you for joining me for this conversation. Folks, hope you enjoyed it. Hope it got you thinking about some things and your involvement in the education space. Also gave you a little hope that, yes, things are going to be improving and things are being focused on and worked out. So we're all hopeful for a strong fall semester and beyond. If you want to learn more about what Connection has to offer, what partners like Cisco have to offer, then my encouragement is to reach out to your account managers, to your teams, whether, again, you're focused on higher ed and teams like Sean can get involved and talk with you or K through 12 where Pam and her team and then can bring in partners like Brad to discuss what's going on. They can help you assess what you're doing. They can look at your infrastructure, help you learn how and build out and support a new flexible distance learning program. Lots of information to share. So again, reach out to your account managers and they'll be able to direct you and get the teams in place to chat. With that, we'll wrap things up. Appreciate y'all taking time to join us here today. Again, James Hilliard, we look forward to talking to you next time on Tech Experience. Mm-hmm.